Yeah, uh Heavy Crown Radio, you know it's going down With Denise, you can see, she's the queen with the crown Talking real life, wild nights, and current events Breaking down, even giving tips on relationships Hey, you don't wanna miss, ready, here we go Keep it tuned in, Heavy Crown Radio Super entertaining, yeah, that's for sure Keep it tuned in, Heavy Crown Radio Hello, my loyal royals. Welcome back to Heavy Crown Radio. I have some really good stuff for you today. For the most part, I have um, some dating and some shows I've been watching. So I really need to get all that off my chest. So why don't we just jump right into it and we'll get into the dating game. Um, Because obviously I haven't been dating. Um, We know where things wound up with Goodnight Moon. That ship has sailed, left the harbor, and I'd never get down that road again. You know, there's some things you just can't put yourself through over and over, and that's one of them. And I know there are people out there laughing their asses off because what I'm about to say is something that's gone on over and over. So, uh, you know, I'll give you your laugh. Because I'll be honest, there is a guy I care about in my life, and he's been around for a while. And, you know, 99% of you don't know who he is because that's how private I am about him because I respect his privacy as well. But he's a really great guy. He's been a great friend to me over the years. And we've had some romantic involvement. And by some, uh, that's probably an understatement. And it ended about 20 times in chaos. Hey, neither of us has been perfect in this situation. I know exactly what went wrong between us. And I'd like to break that down for you because I think everyone goes through this. And it's useful information for future reference. And I know I've learned from it. Number one, communication. The biggest killer of every single relationship, friendship, whatever you have going on. If you don't have enough of it, it's a bad thing. We both never communicated properly and our situation normally ends with me sending him a text, him being aggravated, that it was the total opposite of how I felt initially, and it just erupts into total chaos. And we weren't as open as we should have been with each other. I think being aware of the other person's boundaries is really important and not putting constraints on each other is important. And the one thing that we never have to communicate is that we both like our headspace. We never intrude on each other's headspace. I like mine, he likes his. He also hates expectations, but had he communicated about this, you know, he would have known that mine are quite different and that I don't really have huge expectations other than respect and honesty, um, which are both very important factors. And your expectations shouldn't be designed to constrain your relationship. They should be designed to make your relationship stronger and to also assert a level of respect. And they should also be realistic because let's be real, a lot of people put unrealistic expectations on people that they just can't live up to and I'm not a big believer in that. And both of us can own the fact that we're not the best communicators. I think we've done that quite a few times actually. Um, I know I've worked on my communicating. I think he has too because I've actually seen improvements in him just as his friend and regular observation. And number two, we had a lot of pressure For a long time, there was pressure on us getting together. I felt it and it made me anxious and it kind of changed my vibe around him. And I know he noticed because he's very aware and I'm sure it put pressure on him as well, which I never wanted and I never wanted pressure on me either. So it's like there was this whole like pressure situation of like, what's going to happen with them? Ooh, And, you know, it was just it was too much. And I think it kind of eventually got the, the better of us. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends and years ago when we started getting together again, it was hard, you know, nobody 
ever put pressure on us, obviously, but I kind of felt pressure when I was around everyone else. So it, it, I think, you know, obviously it shifts the energy, like I said, and it makes for awkwardness and then you don't talk about it. So it gets worse. And then number three, playing games. I am guilty as charged. I played guilty on this one because I did play games with him and it definitely wasn't fair. I even said something along the lines of him not being the type of guy I'd ever want a relationship with, which was not only like mean, but completely untrue. I was younger and immature and, you know, I regret ever saying that. It just, it it, it wasn't necessary. And he's the type of guy I actually would like to have a relationship with because I just know his moods now. I know how to react to them and when to steer clear. And I also know that he appreciates directness. He doesn't want to beat around the bush. He wants that straight talk, no chaser. I screwed up here. I can't take that back. I can't change any of that. And I, you know, I wish I could, but I can't. Number four, very important. I was not myself. I kind of, I guess, because of a previous relationship I was in, I stifled everything about myself. And in that previous relationship, I was torn to shreds so much that... I did everything I could just to not be, just to just, you know, be seen, not heard. And I, you know, I didn't make decisions for myself. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And I was just, you know, I was just there. You know, I wasn't 100% comfortable around him. And that wouldn't allow him to be comfortable around me. Because if someone isn't comfortable around you, again, like I said, the vibe, your vibe's going to change too. Because I know that that would be the case with me if I was in his situation. You know, and I needed the growth and the time to like love myself and get back to myself before ever pursuing anything with anyone. I think that's so important and it's definitely something to stress that if you're, you know, looking for a relationship, don't look for it. Let it come to you. I've made that mistake and I think I own that now. And number five, forcing change. I tried to mold him into this little version of what I wanted instead of appreciating him for who he is. And from what I've witnessed personally, he's actually grown into a really amazing person. I never needed to change him. And my immaturity got the better of me. I was just always like, okay, he needs to be like this. Like, this is how I want someone to be that's going to be with me. And I would just try to, you know, finagle this change. And it's like, you can't do that to people. And these are mistakes that I have to admit. I made these when I was younger, but I also was just... I was in a different mindset, I'd have to say. Like, I I guess I completely got woke when certain things happened and I had an epiphany and I was like, wow, why am I doing this shit? Like, I'm screwing up every relationship that I'm having because I'm molding people, I'm doing this. Not to, you know, take responsibility away from anyone else in relationships that I've been in, but what I will say is I do own my shit and I will own my pot, 100%. And then number six, benching. Benching is much different from ghosting. I'm not sure if you've heard about benching, but like I was constantly just like putting him on the bench if I felt like he wasn't doing what I wanted and this is completely selfish or wasn't doing what like air quotes should be happening. I just duck out and find someone else. No explanation, no nothing. And he'd just be sitting on the bench. And if I felt like coming back, I'd be like, oh, okay, he's still there. All right. And now that I've had that happen to me, I can only imagine how hurtful it was for him. I mean, maybe it wasn't hurtful, but I'd be lying if I said I knew for sure that it was or wasn't. Um, I'd run right back to him as soon as whatever I was doing didn't work out. And if he had someone, I raised Cain 
Because in a young female's mind, how dare you have a life without me, even though I moved on without you? You know, that was really such selfish thinking. Very selfish. I can't even, you know, apologize for that enough. But I just always expected him to be there waiting for me, and that wasn't the least bit fair. And what gives me the right to say that he can't move on? Nothing. And I'm sure there are tons more mistakes that we both made here, but there are tons of good aspects that, you know, I definitely appreciate about him. He's a humble guy. He doesn't boast. He doesn't speak ill of anyone, and he's a great listener. I always joked with him that even if he pretended to listen to me, like even if he was just pretending and thinking about other shit in his head, I always appreciated that it looked like he was listening intently. But what I can honestly say is that like I know he was actually listening to me because he remembers things that I've said and I'm like wow you actually were listening to that conversation damn (laughs) but it's true he he definitely remembers stuff like that and you know not a lot of guys do not not a lot of men listen intently I'll say that and he also remembers the little things and that kind of stuff matters to me because guys typically glaze over that type of stuff but he doesn't And he never really opens up about certain things, but there are moments when he does. And I really appreciate those moments, you know, and I don't share them with anyone else because I feel like that's sacred. Nobody should have to say, don't say anything, but to preface their conversation just so you don't open your mouth. You should keep things in confidence regardless. And I think especially when it comes to whether it's relationships, friendships, you know, dating, whatever, you should always, you know... If you feel like something is personal to someone, you should keep that, you know, close to the vest. I think that's important. But through this long saga with him that ended up with us just being friends, you know, I learned a lot about myself, my communication style, and the importance of recognizing the mistakes made on both sides. You have to recognize your own as well as the other person's because, you know, you need to know red flags. You're not perfect. Don't expect it from anyone else either. But be open to the other person's differences from you and their feelings and don't try to change them to suit your needs. You should blend with them to try to compliment each other, not drag each other for your flaws. And I can say I'm definitely happy about where things are at. Now let's talk about how I joined Ace for five minutes the other day. I'm sure a lot of you on my personal Facebook page are pretty familiar with what happened, but um, I don't add a lot of people to my personal page, so... I'll just uh, tell you the story myself. So this is a dating app that I saw on Snapchat. It was like a Snapchat commercial. And I was like, oh, you know, this looks legit. This looks cool. Let's try this. You know, um, bad, bad idea. Completely bad idea. I was like, all right, I've tried eHarmony, Bumble. I've tried Hinge. And I've never tried Tinder. I never will. So if you ever see a picture of me on Tinder, it's not me. I would definitely will never, ever, ever in my life be on Tinder. Well, I joined this ace bullshit. <laughs> and this was more confusing than I could even fathom. So the preferences you can set for like age, range of where people live, and all the other filters, uh, that shit didn't work. Some 51-year-old man somehow made his way into my inbox, and I definitely didn't match him. Um, I'm not sure how he slid into my DMs. You can't even get rid of people on this app. So, like, normally, like, you can, like, unmatch someone. Like, I tried everything in the world to get rid of this dude, and I'm like, why can't I get rid of him, man? This is, like, this is some shit. So I blocked him, and then the app unblocked him. And I definitely compare this app to something like getting a bad facelift in the 90s, like, Work out the kinks before you release this stuff. 
And then I even had this one guy ask me, so how many individuals are you talking to on here? And I'm like, bro, that's none of your business. I don't care if I'm talking to 50 people, that's none of your business. Like, I'm trying to, like, get to know different, you know, guys and see who I like best. Like, may the best man win. It's not just all about you. And um, he's already trying to cage me in. And then he asks, so, so how do you think this conversation is going? And then I just didn't reply. And I was like, I need to get out of this. And I couldn't bring myself to just carry on that conversation anymore. And I have to say, I've been in relationships where how many individuals are you talking to on here equals extreme jealousy. And that's a recipe for disaster. So thank you. Next. The only other guy I chatted with was from London. And now this is where I truly knew that the range of location was deeply flawed because I had set it to, I think, like 30 miles. And this guy was like a handsome guy, but he was laying it on so thick that I was just like, oh, buddy, like, come on now, like, stop. And I was out for a walk with my dog while I was like chatting with him. So I, you know, I was like writing back pretty quickly because I was, you know, I had the app open, we're walking, walked about two miles and then we came home and I decided I was like, all right, I'm wicked hot. I need to take a shower. So I get in the house, you know, I unhook my dog from the leash, put my phone on the dock because it's dying, went to take a shower, got out of the shower, dried off, got dressed, came back to my phone. And this dude was like, hello, hello, have I upset you? Are you all right? Like this type of shit is weird to me. It reeks insecurity, which I have also dealt with in relationships with guys. Like I just, I don't, I don't like that stuff. Like, and if you can't tell, I'm highly skilled at identifying red flags now that I've got some dating experience under my belt. Dude number one would have been a jealous, possessive, selfish human based upon our conversation. And dude number two was insecure and looking for a way to get into the country. Thank you. Next. I wound up post, like I said, I wound up posting the snippets from one of the conversations on my personal page because I just, I couldn't believe that the thirst was real. The second I came back to Facebook And the second I came back to Facebook anyway, guys were sliding in my DMs that I haven't spoken to in years, just trying to weasel their way back into my life. And I just, I wasn't really into it. Um, I've got plenty of them doing life without parole in my pending friend requests. One of the ones whom I knew would be all over my shit immediately. um, I took the liberty of blocking him on every single facet of media that he could possibly have the opportunity to reach out to me on. And I've been doing that for years. So he's doing life without parole in every app, every, you know, I don't even know if you can do life without parole on eBay, but I don't even think I'm on eBay anymore. But like I said, every facet of media available for contacting me, he is blocked. And so that app was on my phone for all of five minutes. And then I was like, I am done. I'm good. I'd like to meet someone maybe like on Hinge because I've had decent luck with Hinge or organically. Um, And Hinge is the only one I'd actually deem legitimate because I have actually met guys with class on there. But one of my flaws that um, I haven't mentioned is that I compare guys to the main guy I mentioned because I'm so like we've just had this thing going for so long that I'm just used to like our style and how non-invasive we are. That anytime a guy deviates from that, I feel like my head's being held underwater. (laughs) And I know it sounds crazy because I literally preach the opposite of what I say I want. But I'm honestly trying to work on that. I want to keep an open mind and build a different style because I know that's not healthy. And it's like, it's not fair to somebody else to compare them 
to someone that you were with before. That's just, I, w- I would never want that done to me. And so it's something I try to be cognizant of. So I am trying to own my mistakes, fix the things I've been doing wrong, and then have a better outcome. So that's definitely what I'm working on. And there's definitely something to be said about being self-aware, or at least trying, and I'm not always the best at it, but who is? Um, I'd love to meet someone. I'm honestly not in any rush. I'm enjoying my single life. Um, I really am. I have to say that. And just getting to know new guys. And I think one of my biggest issues is the fact that like I don't rush into the sexual part of it. And I think that's where I have a lot of guys like, ugh, like annoyed at the end of the night. Like I'm not getting anything. Like nothing's happening. And, you know, I do say it beforehand. It's not it's not a secret. It's not something I hold back. I say, like, no, like, I'm sorry, I don't do that. It's not happening. Like, it takes me a while. And, you know, most of them, like, like I've said before, I think I've said this before, that I feel like they take it as a personal challenge. Like, oh, she said it's not happening. Oh, boy, my charm, it's going to, shit is going down for real tonight. And then, I'm sorry, buddy, but it's not. I don't care what kind of, like, swag you think you have. It is not happening. It's because I'm very strong in my convictions. You know what I mean? If you're looking for a hookup, go elsewhere. Like, I make myself very clear up front, and I think I've made myself pretty clear at this juncture. I really have. So the next thing that I want to talk about is 13 Reasons Why, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to bow out now if you haven't watched um, Season 3, or if you aren't caught up, um, or if you haven't started the show, because I don't want to spoil anything for you. And I have to be very honest with you, I had a tough time with the last episode of season one back when that happened, and I had an even tougher time with the last few episodes of season two. Like, they really struck a nerve with me so bad the night I was going to start season three. Like, I I, I couldn't start that. I really couldn't. Like, I I went back to rewatch them, and I was like, "I, I can't start season three. Like, I just felt so emotionally just robbed, you know? Like, my my emotions were just... I don't know, out of control. And I think it was probably because I had also watched Roll Red Roll on Netflix earlier that day. And if you haven't watched that, that's like a really, really messed up documentary that I think everyone should watch. Because that one honestly destroyed me emotionally too. I don't know why we enjoy watching things that destroy us emotionally, but they're just, there are real issues that you have to be aware of and that you have to face. And I think this was definitely... um, I guess a day for me to face those issues watching roll red roll and then realizing that 13 reasons why I came back so you know I just sat on my couch in tears because I just felt so many emotions and I was honestly sick to my stomach for Tyler and by the way no I don't feel bad for Monty at all I hate that guy and you know it's taken so many years for victims of sexual assault to be believed because there's so many vengeful phonies who come forward that you know lie about being raped and you know when you do come forward this makes your sexual history and anything else fair game when you are a victim and it isn't fair you basically have to be a nun for someone to be convicted of raping you if you enjoy sex at all defense attorneys will use it against you as if you were asking for it but I'm of the same belief as Amber Rose that it doesn't matter if you're laying next to someone butt naked no means no It doesn't give someone the right to your body. Like, no one has any sort of entitlement to your body. Like, even if you're in a relationship with them, no one's entitled to just have sex with you without your consent. And the actor who plays Bryce Walker, oh my God, this kid was brilliant. 
he's incredibly good because I hate him so much. Like even just looking at him as a person, I hate him. And it's awful because that's not who he is as a person in real life. But I just look at him and hate him. And that's, you know, the sign of a good actor because he reminded me so much of like that spoiled little shit, that affluenza kid who got away with, you know, driving drunk and killing like four or five people. What was his name? Ethan Couch. His parents basically like allowed him to live the same way that Bryce's parents did. There was no responsibility, no having to take ownership for himself. And it's just disgusting to watch because you just see this, you know, all three seasons, you just see this guy who's just running amok, doing his own thing. But the funny thing is, is in season three, you also see the ramifications of that. And you see it through his, not only his eyes, but his mother's eyes, which is really eye-opening. Um, and the beauty of this series is that I like the example it sets for not only survivors, but it gives people who haven't experienced this the opportunity to see it in a very real way. And it's one you don't usually see. Um, and it's showing young people how to support their friends through this type of tragic ordeal. We've never seen someone attempt to redeem themselves or feel genuine remorse for what they've done. And we got to see Bryce do that. I have to say, seeing Bryce at the yoga studio sobbing, that was something I have never seen brought to life before on a show. I thought that was a pretty powerful scene, and that's a transformation that we rarely witness or hear about once a date rape has taken place. It evoked an emotion in me that surprised me. I was, I felt really, you know, empathetic for him. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I felt for him in that moment because you could tell, you know, that the magnitude of what he had done had really hit him. And, you know, some people may not agree with me, that's fine. But I was just, I was surprised by the empathy that I felt for him and how that scene affected me. I didn't expect that at all. Um, I didn't expect my emotions to kind of go that route. But this series and how far it has brought us with the support of victims in society, it made me think of my freshman year of college. So the day that I moved into my college dorm, I was walking around my dorm house trying to, you know, get acquainted with it. It was new to me. I had never lived with, without my parents, and I was just trying to, you know, find my way. And I was walking around the dorm house, and there was a guy who invited me to hang out in his room, and his roommate was there, so I was like, oh, okay. And he handed me a drink, and he had a bottle of pills in his hand, and he had handed me a Red Bull, but I was like, and then he opened it for me, and it he, but he opened it like before he turned around so I was like oh, I'm not gonna drink this and I just put it down and he was pretty drunk so he didn't like I didn't realize how drunk he was before I put myself in that situation but um I was just like yeah I'm gonna go and I made up an excuse and been within you know I obviously got out of that situation and left but you know I'm pretty lucky but within the first week of college, two girls had been raped and they brought us all down to the common area of the dorm that I lived in. And they were basically telling us like, okay, we have two confirmed rapes. They didn't specify the specific dorm location, but I like part of me thinks they did. I believe they said it was, well, actually, I don't want to say it out loud because then you might know which one it was. And I don't want to put any shit out there and get sued. So they were just like, oh, make sure you protect yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I actually never saw that guy again that had invited me to his room. So I'm like, it always made me wonder if he was one of the ones they had told us about. But there were no conversations in 2004 in the context of what takes place in 2019. In 2004, it was still like, well, what were you wearing? Did you lead him on? And that type of shit. And I do enjoy that we've moved forward as a society and, and now believing victims, but they should never have been slut shaming or victim blaming in the first place. 
But I'm pretty happy with 13 Reasons Why. Um, in the light it's shed on suicide, date rape, and the conversations that have been started because this really needed to happen. And now that this is over and I've, you know, binge-watched the entire season, I need a new show to watch. Ever since Game of Thrones ended, I've been completely lost. I actually swung by CVS at 1am the other night when I couldn't sleep, and I was wearing my Game of Thrones pajamas, and lo and behold, a 20-minute conversation began between the pharmacist and I about the ending, how invested we were in this show, and how let down we were. HBO. The pain that you inflict on your viewers is lasting when you don't give a, a series the ending that it deserves. The deep pain in the pharmacist's eyes was enough to tell me that I am not the only one in this world still trying to come to grips with that ending. And I've tried to start other shows, but I just haven't clicked with them. I tried Wentworth, but I couldn't get into it. So if you have any Netflix or Hulu recommendations, hit me up on Facebook. I'd love to hear what you recommend. Right now, I'm looking at starting um, the documentary LA 92, I think it's called, about the 1992 riots in California. But if we're going to talk documentaries, I have to talk about a couple that have really been on my radar. Um, I'm a little bit late to the party on this one because this was released um, earlier this year. But I have to talk about Theranos. Um, the documentary is called Out for Blood in Silicon Valley or whatever. And it's about Elizabeth Holmes. And I don't know if you've ever heard of her. It, it, it's, it's like a wild thing. Like, I'm going to explain this to you, but you're not going to really fully understand the magnitude of it unless you watch it yourself. It, this, the, it's actually an HBO documentary, if you believe it or not. Um, and I'm dying to see how her trial plays out and how things happen, you know, in reality, because the way that she hustled so many powerful men into supporting her cause, I'm just dumbfounded. Like, I'm completely dumbfounded. The documentary, like I said, it's called Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. And I am late bringing this up, but it is still on HBO because I watched it the other night for the third time. Just because of the fact that I'm still in disbelief that at 19 years old, this girl hustled, bamboozled, and led tons of powerful men to invest millions that turned into billions for her blood company, Theranos. And it alleged that it could run 200 assays, or assays, I can't remember how to pronounce it. I should know, you know, being what I do for a living. Um, but it said, it said it could run over 200 assays with a single finger prick of blood instead of the usual several tubes we normally have to give, you know, through a, a venous um, removal of our blood, so to speak. So she created this machine called the Edison and said this machine could run those 200 assays and give real-time accurate results with just that little tiny drop of blood. And she was outed by a New York Times reporter, and he wound up bringing her down. And, like, the, I'm telling you, the fallout is just crazy. And I realize I've given a lot of this away. <laughs> but, you know, it's nothing you can't read on the internet anyway. She was obsessed with Thomas Edison, Steve Jobs. And she has this very odd, deep voice that nobody ever recalled her having before. And I'm telling you, man, she swaggerjacked Steve Jobs' black turtlenecks and was like, well, I've been wearing these since I was seven. <laughs> You'll have to watch this documentary because even though I've told you all this, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of how insane it is watching this woman, like, not blink during an interview. Like, she does not blink. It's, it's bananas. You really have to watch the story, too, because the story is incredible. 
and honestly, I'm cringing even bringing this up, but yes, I watched the Rachel Dolezal documentary as well. Um, if you don't remember her, she's the woman a few years back who was ousted as the Spokane chapter president of the NAACP because they found out she wasn't actually black. She is a white woman. All I can say is, like, this woman is in desperate need of therapy, media training, and needs to lose her defensiveness. Like, her defensiveness is what really does her in. That and the fact that she's tone deaf to the issues that black women try to explain to her that they actually face, and she blatantly stares at them like, whatever, and just doesn't understand. And after watching this, it's really not difficult to understand or comprehend why she only sold 596 books. Personally, I just like to know who those 596 people are. Um, it's worth watching just so you can see another side of her because, you know, there are things I didn't know about her. Like, I didn't know that she had adoptive black siblings. Um, I didn't know certain things about her parents or um, about the father that she posed as being her dad, the black gentleman. It's definitely worth watching. But until she can own a lot of the things that the black community would like her to cop to, she's not going to be able to get out of her own way. And I really think she needs to get out of her own way. And another media sensation, Stephen Avery of Making a Murderer, his attorney, Kathleen Zellner, just offered an $100,000 reward about four hours ago for the identity of the real killer of Teresa Halbach. This is a two-part Netflix documentary that I also highly recommend watching because this is the cover-up of all cover-ups. And $100,000 looks like it could go pretty far in Wisconsin, so let's hope somebody with the truth comes forward, not some lunatics, because you offer money and the crazies come out. Like, people are just like, oh my god, I saw this and I saw that, and it's like, no you didn't. No you didn't. The press release that I have also says that this $100,000 comes from a concerned citizen. Kathleen Zellner, his attorney, also states that the reward has nothing to do with the merits of Stephen Avery's appeal, which is going to be filed on October 10th. So we're going to have to wait and see how this turns out. I'd re I'm really interested to see if anybody will come forward for that kind of money. I'm willing to bet somebody's going to come up and say something, but where this, this was such an intricate cover-up, I actually think that maybe there's a chance that nobody will come forward because they're too afraid um i don't even know if like 500 million would make them come forward to be honest because it seems like a lot of people were afraid to talk about it and now that i've spoken about several individuals myself included i think i'll call it a night but before i do i just want to offer my condolences to the steelers patriots nation baby just kidding, one more uh, announcement, although I wasn't kidding about the Steelers. Uh, my condolences go out to you and the rest of the NFL because the Pats are climbing the stairway to seven, baby. Stairway to seven. But in on a serious note, um, I don't know how true this is. I've tried to find some legitimate news articles on it, but I can't. Allegedly, the lead investigator of Jeffrey Epstein's death has died after a brief illness and I say brief illness in air quotes uh, from what I'm reading a lot of people are saying oh the Clinton body count is going up so I'm going to look into this a little further and see what I can dig around and find because I'm pretty interested to see if there really is a Clinton body count and I'm interested in covering that for you guys get ready for more heavy crown coming at you real soon